Welcome to Champions Advantage. Uh, a little bit different episode this week due to some unforeseen circumstances coming up. We weren't able to find a time that we were going to be able to record a new episode this week. So, uh, rebooking the Nexus Part 2, the Open Palm 8 of the Mean Guy Classic, and all the news we're going to talk about will all have to be put on the back burner until next week. But we pride ourselves here on never missing a week. We've been late some weeks, but since we started last May, we have put out an episode every week, and we really wanted that to continue. So we decided to put together a best of episode. Uh, the episode's going to consist of two Superstar retrospectives that we thought were two of our better ones. Um, unfortunately, the one I really want to use is the CM Punk one, but since that was pre-Anchor days, I wasn't able to rip that audio. So the first part of our best of retrospective show is going to be part three of the best of Mick Foley. This covers his whole run basically from the Hell in a Cell match with The Undertaker through his three WWE title reigns, through the Randy Orton feud, through the Commissioner run, through his TNA run, ultimately going to the Hall of Fame in 2013. Um, it's personally my favorite of the three parts of the Mick Foley retrospective that we did. So we have that coming up for you. And uh, that's one of our first episodes on Anchor, and we've grown a ton since then. So you might not have even checked out this episode. So I'm actually excited to put this in our best of show as part one of the two retrospectives we have coming up for you. And uh, Mick Foley part three will be coming up for you right after this word from our sponsors. Well... I don't even know what to describe what just happened off air. We were talking about uh, something we may have coming up in the works. And then I said, well, well, that's not going to work because we wanted to do something similar somewhere else. And then you said that apparently you said we have an origin show. I thought yes. you said we have an orgy show. And Which I is just not happening. <laughs> not happening. You had a good joke. Just say that, so that joke needs to be heard, heard on air. Cause I was not happening until Patreon. That was fucking good. I I'll give you touche. I'll give you. I'll give you the applause on that one. Well done to me. All right, but uh, anyways, now time for your main events of the evening. That was an awful single. That was supposed to be a Bruce Buffer. Okay, got it. I know, Ron. I was also an awful Bruce Buffer. No, it wasn't. Fuck you. Fuck you. (laughs) All right, let's talk about Mrs. Foley's baby boy. All right. Well, we last time we left off, he was uh, just got done being brutally murdered by the Undertaker. So the question the question uh, arises: Do you want to talk about this Hell in a Cell match now, or do you want to wait until we get to the legacy? Because I feel like that's so. I'll leave it up to you. you... I feel like I have two things to talk about about it. Okay. About it now and the legacy. Okay. Well then so we'll talk about it for both times. I okay. Believe. Let's go. Let's go then. Let's hit it. Let's hit it. We don't have to talk about much because everybody listening to this podcast knows what happened. In that yeah, match. I. I think every friend I've ever made in my life, I've showed them that match, so I think everyone in the world has, has seen it. Yeah, it's it. a go-to for non-wrestling fans. And, like, the clip's everywhere. Like, yeah. I've seen the clip. He, uh, JR is everywhere over somebody yeah. taking a fucking L in... In, in anything. In, yeah, in absolutely any... I saw a NASCAR fight with that commentary over <laughs> it. was like, it's, that commentary's over anything. Did Joey Logano lose, is my question. He, he's the champion. He won the title. Yeah, I know, but did he lose the fight? Because I know it had to involve Joey Logano. Oh, no, it was two truck series geeks. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, even better. He did get punched in the face by Kyle Busch. Once, he did, though. He did. And that was one of the best days of my life. I hate Joey Logano. 
<laughs> He's up there with Jonas Valanciunas and Terry Rozier from my least favorite people. That's crazy because like you don't even watch NASCAR. Not anymore. Don't, I don't. Like, I don't. I don't either anymore. It's, that's another story for another time. But uh, Mick Foley, Hell in a Cell. What do you got to say? I mean, what what is there to say? It was. You said you had two things to say. No, I. I will you let me fucking finish? <laughs> I, have, I have something to talk about this and to the legacy. Through the legacy. Through the legacy. Through the legacy. Through the legacy. Okay. But uh, it's a new this day. this was it's a spot. A yeah. This was a spot. It was. It was a spot. That is correct. It is one of these staple moments in the timeline of wrestling, I believe, because I know a lot of argue. a lot of people like from WCW, WCW side said, you know, that's it. It's over. Can't top that. And the fans were going nuts, and it led to Foley's superstardom. I, I agree. Believe. I can't. I can't. I can't argue with that. Mankind is my favorite Foley. I know he's not yours, but this was incredible. The, the, even the just outside the two falls, this match was special. That visual of them standing on top of the cell, yeah, which was technically hell on a cell for a while, but uh, and then it became hell through a cell. And it became hell through a cell. Hell off a cell. <laughs> yeah, it was hell around a cell. Yeah, it was just it ended up being hell wild. in a hospital room. I honestly tell you, just listen to McFoley describe this because it's he could say it. The yeah, best. he he did a he did a network special on it. Uh, it was the 20, he an 20, excellent story. Twenty teller. years of hell uh, tour, and they aired the Pittsburgh show, which is where this match happened on the network. I think I think they aired it after Hell in a Cell because I think I watched it here. Yeah, we watched it here. Because we were gonna, we were going to record and we ended up recording later because we yeah, were both very interested in it. It was so good. And it I, was. He's if an you haven't excellent, watched excellent storyteller. If you haven't watched, I recommend going out of your way and like watching it. Not this second, because we'd appreciate it if you stuck around until the end of the show, but, uh... I made that mistake last week. Yeah. With the Mind Games match. That's, that's kind of, that's worth it, though. That's, that's worth, that's, that's worth leaving these two jabrones to go watch. Yeah. So, you'd never guess what, he, what happened after Hell in a Cell. He started teaming with fucking Kane, because why not? He's everywhere. <laughs> Kane's the greatest, you know? Kane must pose. The rubber. He's the, he gets the rub. So they captured the WF Tag Team Championship on two separate occasions. McFoley's like a, a eight-time tag team. Yeah, he it's is crazy. It's 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 wild. It really is. So uh, Foley decided that at some point that hey, I'm destroying my body, but I'm a pretty funny guy. I think the crowds would respond to mankind better if I, if it was more of a comedy character. So he's kind of abandoned like the the screeching, the tortured soul aspects of uh, mankind, and like any good character does, it it uh, evolved. Where I was supposed to, that's where I was supposed to yeah. get your take. I'm sorry, I was reading my notes. I was reading my notes. Oh, yes. And he, uh, he, <laughs> he, uh, and he did it in the middle of the ball. He was hilarious as mankind. Yeah, he was. For those couple years yeah. there. He did a lot of great shit. I'm not, I'm not going to overdo it because I'm assuming we'll be going through this one by one, but he did an unbelievable amount of really entertaining shit. So, uh, Mick Foley describes the character as a, a goofy, broken down oaf. That's pretty, That's pretty spot on. Pretty spot on, yeah. It's pretty head on nail there. So uh, this transition officially began after SummerSlam 1998, after Kane turned on him. What a dick. Yeah, Kane. Why is Kane an asshole? Because he's the greatest. He doesn't need anybody. Uh, so after that, the two lost the tag team championship and Foley began this transition. And that's when he began one of my favorite angles, Mick Foley and Mankind. Whoa, Jesus. That was a dyslexic fuck up. Mick Foley and Vince McMahon together. Awesome, awesome stuff. So Mankind wanted to be Vince's friend. That's all he wanted. <laughs> all Mankind wanted to do is be Vince's friend. And then on the October 5th, 1998 episode of Raw, I've heard people call this the greatest segment in Raw history. And I don't know if it is, but it's it's up there. 
I think he's a uh, greatest non-wrestling segment. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think McFoley's part of the greatest wrestling segment in Raw yeah. history. I just meant, like, skin. So, Mr. Man was in the hospital. Nursing wounds suffered at the hands of Undertaker and Kane when Mankind arrived to attempt to cheer him up. <laughs> so first he brought out a clown that made balloons. Yerple. Yerple the clown. She showed up a few different times. She did. She became, she she became, became almost the, a recurring character. Yeah, she's a working clown. <laughs> and then Mankind pulled out a sock with a face drawn on it, put it on his hand, and introduced the world to Mr. Sacco. And the craziest thing is, Mr. Sacco was supposed to be a one-night deal. One and done. Yeah, he just did it. And then it became, like, perhaps the most legendary aspect of the Mankind character. Yes, uh, and uh, Vince sold that wonderfully. Oh, yeah. He Vince... sits back, he goes, oh, Mr. Sacco. And it was just, it was just, it was hilarious. And I remember just telling the story uh, of Mick Foley telling the story that he showed up the next night. And Tim White asked, I think it might have been Tim White. I think, yeah, I think it was Tim White, yeah. Might have been, might have asked him, like, do you have the sock? We need the sock. He goes, what do you mean we need the sock? He goes, there are sock signs out there. And it became, to his part, it became Socko. I mean, luckily for him, it's just he could take any white sock and just yeah. draw on it, so it's... He probably used the same one, because he's cheap and <laughs> smelly, but... I love that him and Owen Hart had, like, a competition to see if he could spend less money on the road for, like, three months, and, like, Foley would, like... Some nights not even get a hotel room and just sleep in the rental car. It's like, yeah. that's crazy, man. Yeah, it's just, that's wild. That's what you can't imagine that nowadays. So, uh, around this time, uh, Mr. Sacco began to be a part of his finishing maneuver during the mandible claw first. Well, it also helped that, that he could use it for his finishing maneuver. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess he did get lucky in that regard. The mandible claw is deadly. It is? No, like, it's, it's, it's deadly. I don't never want to have it if put you on. Put, if you put pressure on your fucking mandible, it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Uh, so, Mick Foley pulled a sock out of his pants, which I'm sure was lovely. Oh, he probably smelled so bad in those. And ones. then, uh, and then he would stick the sock in your gullet. And then this became massively popular with fans, like you said. And Jerry Lawler always used to put up, put over Mr. Sacco. Jerry Lawler used to put over Mr. Sacco like no one else. He'd be like, "That's smelly. That's sweating. That's sweaty. Disgusting sock, Mr. Sacco." He'd always be so disgusted by Mr. Sacco, <laughs> and it was great. King was good at that time too. The exact quote was, dirty, smelly, sweaty, repulsive, vile sock. That's what Jerry Lawler used to call it. So Vince began to manipulate Mankind, who Mankind saw uh, McMahon as a father figure and character. And McMahon created one of the best things ever, the Hardcore Championship, and gave that it to That segment Mankind. was fabulous. Great segment. He, yeah. goes, I, I got, he goes, I got, I got something to ask you. Anything you got, you want it, you got it. He goes, I got something to give you. I love it, because he didn't see it yet, Mick. <laughs> that was... It. That was just unbelievable. He was in, he was in the he was in the closet too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was in the closet underneath the, the janitor's closet, and that's when mankind or uh, Vince famously said, "I think I gained a son tonight." Yeah. And Mick Foley goes, "Thanks, Dad." It was just, it was just some really good shit. I think the exact quote was, "I lost a son because like Shane turned on him, and, yeah. but I gained one in you." And he's like, "Oh, thanks, Dad." And McMahon had like this disgusted look on his face. Yeah, no, he he turned away and then he turned back yeah. all disgusted. Yeah. Vince sold it amazingly. Dude, yeah, Vince was Vince is like the fact that he never wants to be an on-screen performer is crazy because he's such a. Good he might one. be the greatest one of all he's time. Such a good one. He might be the greatest on-screen performer of all time in history of wrestling. So he's then it was time for Deadly Games, of course, the legendary tournament for the WWE Championship. It's a deadly game. As we play, but Mankind was pushed as the heavy favorite to win due to this alliance with uh, VKM and not the Voodoo Kin Mafia. <laughs> but it was a swerve, bro. 
Because you know who was writing at the time? There was always a swerve, bro. Yeah, Vince Russo was a psycho with that this shit. This was a good swerve, though. This it was. Good, this was, was probably swerve. the best one he's ever written. This was probably the one, the best single night of Vince Russo's writing career. Yes. Like, the matches sucked. Like, the matches sucked. But the storytelling was great. Yeah, it was. It was... It just saved the pay-per-view. So, Rock put Foley in the sharpshooter. And uh, they rang the bell. Because, uh, of, of course, they did. A recreation of the Montreal Screwjob, which happened just one year earlier. And, uh... Yeah, man, that there was the old double turn. Although mankind was getting face reactions, I guess he was technically supposed to be a heel because he's doing yeah, man's corporation dirty work. Yeah. But I mean, so uh, Rock returned heel and fully officially turned face. He's already getting baby face reactions. He he got sympathy. Really, he was really good at giving sympathy his entire he career. He was. His facial reactions when that happened, he looked so confused and sad. <laughs> but. uh... Yeah, he saw that great, and now and then now he got launched into stardom. So he would go on to face the Rock the next month at In Your House Rock Bottom. I miss the In Your Houses. They were they had some creative. They were good. I've actually watched all of them on the network. There there were some really good matches, specific matches, and really good shows overall. So Mankind won the match by shoving uh, the stank-ridden sock down the Rock's gullet, but McMahon ruled that the title would not change hands. Why you ask? Because the Rock did not submit and he was not pinned. He just. You know what? Fair enough. Passed out via sock. <laughs> so, um, uh, Mankind would get a rematch on December 29th, which aired on January 4th, and that's the date that the WWF officially recognizes. Mick Foley would win the world title. The single greatest moment in Raw history. Yeah, and, uh... That... That'll put butts in seats. Fucking reaction. When Austin's music hits... Oh, yeah. Is... I still think it's the greatest reaction ever. And then that crowd blew that roof off when Mick Foley got that three count. Oh, yeah. It was. It gives me chills going It was. Yeah, I just yeah. got them. Like, yeah, it was, it's, it's great. Because he, he deserved it. Man, Michael Cole was excellent when this when this was going on. Because you just feel the emotion. That's when wrestling's at its best. And he didn't have Vince in his ear because Vince is ringside. So. Yeah. But, you know, this is when wrestling at its best. You just felt with Mick, with Mick Foley. He was going around, running around Foley. Foley had road dog do the proper introduction. It was just fantastic. So we got to talk about the what was going on in the other channel. So Eric Bischoff instructed Tony Schiavone to spoil the change because, of course, this was a tape draw. And, uh, and it lost him the Monday Night War. Tony Schiavone said that Mankind, who used to wrestle here as Cactus Jack, is going to win their world title. That'll put a lot of butts in the seats. You know and what? that line backfired... Because literally hundreds of thousands of people switched from TNT to... Was Raw on TNN or was it still on USA at this point? TNN, I believe. It was on TNN Either way. Point. They switched to whatever channel Raw was on. Yeah. And Raw popped a gigantic rating. Yeah. A huge rating, especially for a tape show. And it was crazy. It was. It was just... Uh, he deserved it, too. Now, do you know what happened on the other channel on, on that night? I did at one point. What was on? It the- was the finger poke doom. Was it the finger poke doom? Yes. Wow, that's two things. So on, on one that's channel, two monumental things. On one channel, you had Mick Foley winning the world title, and on on Nitro, you had Kevin Nash basically laying down for Hollywood Hogan and the reformation of the New World Order, brother. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, Mankind would go on to lose the title less than a month later at the Royal Rumble in a 
brutal I quit mash, man. Is I, that is that when uh, The Rock just beat the fuck out of him with a chair? chair yeah. Like his family Pulled was his crying. Off, yep. The, his family actually had to leave the stands. His daughter was crying so much. Poor Noel. Poor Noel. <sighs> she ever needs a shoulder to cry on, I can offer her one. Hey, Frank the Clown will beat your ass. I need a Rams fan. He too, will. So. He will. He'll beat my ass. So, uh, yeah, of course, this I Quit match was featured on Beyond the Mat. Great documentary if you've never watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're listening to this, you've probably watched Beyond the Mat. But if you haven't, it's fantastic. It is very good. Probably the best wrestling documentary. So, uh... It's better than Wrestling with Shadows. It is better than Wrestling with Shadows. But I like Wrestling with Shadows, too. I know you don't because you hate Brett, but... So, the match ended after Foley lost consciousness, and The Rock's allies played a recording of Mankind saying, I quit from Raw. This was voted uh, the 1999 match of the year by the readers of the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which is kind of a shock to me. Really? I mean, I'm not too familiar with the, the matches of 1999 off the top of my head, but... I guess this was the best of them all. It would have been the match of the century if it was in the Tokyo Dome. Probably would have. Yeah. So, Mankind would win the title back in a rematch on halftime heat, of all things. Yeah, that was halftime of the Super Bowl. Yes. It was halftime of the Denver Broncos taking on the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 33. Uh, that would be January 31st, 1999. Yes, the Super Bowl actually used to be played in January. Yeah. Which is wild. But uh, that's the one. That's the game where Terrell Davis went nuts, I believe. Yeah. But uh, that was when we had like the migraine, and he like legit couldn't see, and they yeah. like just block. <laughs> and he, he did. <laughs> what a football guy. Yeah, absolute football guy. But uh, this was I remember kind of watching this. We should note that it was an empty arena match. Yeah, I remember because it was I believe it was on TNN at halftime of the Super Bowl. I think it was on, wasn't it on MTV. I thought it was. I thought it was. It might have been on MTV. It I thought it was halftime heat, and it was like Sunday Night Heat on MTV. Yes, Could yes, be it was. It was. No, you're right. You're right. I remember kind of watching this because people I was watching the Super Bowl with you know, my parents, friends. So I was five, I was five, four or five years old, and uh, this popped on. And I remember, I remember, I remember it happening. Didn't care at the time, but I remember it happening. But this was Mick Foley took a great bump downstairs in this oh, match. Yeah. This match, those two guys were just great together. The finish was wacky as hell, though. Yeah, it was. Just more so the camera angle than the finish. Like, the forklift had the camera on it, so you could see the thing being lowered under rock from, like, a first-person perspective. All kinds of wackiness. But uh, Foley would go on to defend the title in a last-man-standing match at the awesomely named St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view. It's a big pay-per-view. Yeah, it was Austin McMahon in the cage. Which is a great match. The debut of the big show, Paul White. Yes. Uh... So this match ended in no contest. Mankind retained the title. But the next match, The Rock would regain the title with help from the Big Boss Man in a ladder match. You know, Big Boss Man and those ladder matches, they go they go hand in hand. If you ever go down to Cobb County, Georgia, you better read all the signs or you're prepared to do some hard time. Hard time. Not the Punjabi Boss Man, unfortunately. <laughs> so next we move to WrestleMania 15. Mick Foley would face the Big Show with the winner getting the right to uh, main uh, main event. Oh, jeez. Referee the main event. Mankind would win, but Big Show would take him out. And then uh, I believe Shawn Michaels introduced Earl Hebner as the referee for the main event, and Mankind ended up coming back anyway. And <laughs> Stone Cold won the title. And then he would feud with the Big Show. Uh, he'd defeat him again at Backlash. And then, Jesus, do you remember this? Big Show would team up with Mankind, Test and Shamrock, to form the Union. Yes. Do you remember what that stood for? 
You're going to make me look it up because I don't even remember. No, it stood for something. Hold on. It stood for something wacky as hell. It was. Shit, what was it? I'm about to Google it. Buy, buy me some time. But that's an interesting group of people, isn't it? It's a very... Andrew Test Martin. Oh, my God. What was it? Union, a.k.a. Up Yours, stood for Union of People You Ought to Respect, Son. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. And Who came up with that? Th- there's a reason it only lasts a month. Yeah, Jesus Christmas. That is... That's got to be the worst faction ever. They formed uh, in response to the corporate ministry, which was a fusion of the corporation and the ministry. And, uh, yeah, I just... There is not enough to say about that. At Over the Edge, 1999, which will be remembered for very different reasons than the union. Yep. uh, The union would defeat the corporate ministry team, which consisted of the Acolytes, Viscera, and the Big Boss Man. Uh, he tells another great story about that night. If you ever can f- check down the video, he said he was writing. He was writing a chapter of "Have a Nice Day" when he found out about uh, what happened. That's a. He said because uh, he said he was watching it like on the screen. Yeah. And he said it, he, he thought he thought his TV froze because kept showing the crowd. Yeah. And he said, "God, oh, it's kind of weird," but he went back to writing it. And then he said, "Pat Patterson, Pat Patterson came in and just a mess." And he said he 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 got out. He got and he said he ran faster than he ever ran in his life. Because he said him and Owen Hart were like best friends. Yeah. And well, like I said they had that competition to see who could spend less money. Like, they were they were really tight, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he said he ran faster down the hallway, and then by then it was too late. Mankind was so pissed off about the screw job that he was ready to just quit the company. Yeah. He, he did, I believe. He did. He, believe he, tried, he, he tried to. Well, it's a good thing he didn't. So, uh, after that travesty of the union... He would go on to form a uh, duo with The Rock and one of the most iconic tag team combinations of all time. The Rock and Sock Connection. They were three-time WWF tag team champions, which is baffling to me. So that, there's five right there. Or no, there's six. We talked about six of his reign so yeah, far. Yeah, and then he has another one with Al Snow coming later. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so during the time of this team, Foley would do something mind-boggling. He would be a part of the highest rated segment of in Raw history. This is your life. It aired on September 27, 1999, and, like, I don't even believe the rating was achieved in 8.4. I never saw the number, but 8.4? 8.4. That's got to be around 3 or 4 million people. I think a little more than that. You know? Because Raw now does, like, 2.3 million people, so, yeah. like, and... Oh my god, an eight point four. That's that's probably like six or seven. But that, they were they were they were happy like the peak of the of the attitude there were fours. Yeah. This segment did an eight point four. Eight point four. Holy shit! That's baffling. That's absurd. I mean, the segment was great. So uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go back to August of nineteen ninety nine because we skipped over something really important. Uh, Foley took a little time off to have a knee surgery, and then he came back, feuded with Triple H. And uh, they had a number one contenders match to see who would be the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Uh, and it would result in a draw, and that would set up a triple threat match at SummerSlam with Jesse the Body as a special guest ref. Hilarious. Was he the governor yet? He, he was, as a matter of fact. He was? Because the pay-per-view was in Minnesota, and he was the governor of Minnesota. So Mick Foley would pin Steve Austin and become a three-time WWF champion. 
and there's a lot of rumor and innuendo about this title change. The rumor is that uh, Austin didn't want to put over Triple H. Yeah, and then he wanted to give it to Mick and let Mick and let Triple H beat Mick. Well, I think he just didn't want to. Yeah, no, shot. he didn't want. No, no, no. I didn't mean that sounded kind of sending, but that was the rumor. Yeah, but uh, no, he wanted to give it to Mick because him and him and Mick were close as well. So the next night, Foley dropped the title to Triple H, and they got where they were going anyway. But just kind of a weird deal. He got a one-day title reign out of it. Yeah. So three times. Like I think the total. I, I think it's like it held the title like for I think a it's month less and than a half. month. I, maybe, I think it might. Yeah, it's probably around a month. Yeah. Because let's see, he won it and lost it in January. Then he won it back in January. Then he lost it early February, and then he had it for a night in August. So Foley would kind of go on to do just not a whole lot for the rest of the year. But then two thousand came specifically January of 2000, when something very important would happen. So Foley was supposed to face Triple H for the WF title, and Triple H basically said, uh, Foley, you don't have what it takes to beat me. And Foley said, you're right, I don't have what it takes to beat you. Another great segment. But I know someone he who goes, does. He goes, you are in fact the game. I watched your segment last night on YouTube. <laughs> you are in fact the game. And he goes, I found myself a worthy replacement. I think you know him pretty well. And he ripped off the mask and then the shirt. And it was Cactus. So I never realized that, but I guess it is true. Cactus Jack's debut was against Triple H, and now here we are full circle. Yes. So Some good storytelling there. That is. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it's pretty cool. So then they would go on to have the feud that, in my opinion, legitimized Triple H as a top guy. Yeah, he will tell you that as well. They had the awesome street fight at the Royal Rumble 2000. Uh, they include stuff, they include uh, weapons such as barbed wire 2x4, thumbtacks. Tables. Tables. Just An excellent, excellent pile driver on the table. Triple H won uh, after a pedigree onto a pile of tacks, which is no fun. No, not at all. It's my opinion, the best non-Rumble match in Rumble history. Ooh, that's tough. It's up there, but I gotta go Angle and Benoit from 03. That was a good match as well. But that's definitely up that. I think top three is the street fight. Angle Benoit and then Rollins, Lesnar, and Cena from 2015. Oh, that was a great. That was an excellent match. Those are probably the top three. In my that was opinion. an excellent. I love that match. That match is awesome. Uh, so anyway, they would go on to have a Hell in a Cell match at No Way Out, where Cactus had to put his career on the line. Another really good match. Uh, so Foley was on top of the cell trying to pile drive Triple H onto a a barbed wire two by four that was on, on fire. fire. Yeah. But Triple H reversed into a backdrop, which Foley went through the cell and through the ring. And then, of course, Triple H couldn't just pin him. He had to pick him up and hit his move. Yeah. So after a pedigree, it he was over. He took care of this this time, and the, the ring collapsed Yeah, it was gimmicked. Him, yeah, it was gimmicked. Which was the right move. Absolutely. Don't fucking die. So Foley legitimately planned on uh, retiring and hanging it up. But then he got a call from uh, the McMahons, and they felt bad that Foley never got his WrestleMania main event. So they coaxed him back to come back for WrestleMania 2000 in perhaps one of the worst main events of all time. It's not the worst main event, but a McMahon in every corner. Mick Foley with Linda, Big Show with Shane, Rock with Vince, and Hunter with Steph. And did you know that this was the first time in, at this point, the 16 years of WrestleMania, the first time that WrestleMania ended with a heel victory? Really? Actually, I didn't know that, but it's not surprising. Well, yeah, because you want to have a happy ending to WrestleMania. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. the goal. But this um, match was Uncle Hunter got his shovel out. and God awful. Yeah, it was just... 
I don't know. It felt like it was more about the McMahons than the guys in the match, which is... Yeah, like, they never did that before. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, the McMahons, they'd never make it all about them. That's so unlike them. Yes. But, yeah. So after this, Foley would take some time off, take his kids to Disney World, and uh, he would come back as the commissioner of the WWF... And we're just kind of we're just gonna kind of fly through this time because he was funny as hell during the commission. Oh, yeah, but there's not really a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's just he was great. He had the mobile Ed, office. Him, Edge, and especially Christian. him, Edge, and Christian, and Kurt. Him, Edge, Christian, and Kurt, credulously, with with the chicken suit. Hey, where'd you find my chicken suit? Because Christian <laughs> Christian was trying to cut weight to challenge for the light heavyweight title, <laughs> and he, and Foley told him that. Uh, Kurt used to train in a chicken suit for the Olympics, and it was supposed to be a gag, but then Kurt walked in and said, hey, where'd you find my chicken? Great stuff. Yeah, yeah they, they were great. They were really, really funny together. So uh, he would be fired in December of 2000 when uh, he was beat down by uh, Vince and his goons. Who were Vince's goons at that point? Still the still, still Patterson and Briscoe? I think, I think this is the McMahon-Helmsley era. Okay. So Hunter and... I don't remember if a heel DX was a part of this beatdown because I know a heel DX reformed. That might have been earlier in the. I think that was because this is December two thousand. I think Road Dog's already gone by this point. You might be. Either that, or you're still teaming with K Quick. Your favorite, our truth. Possibly. That's awesome. So Foley would come back to referee the Vince Change Street fight at WrestleMania, and then throughout that he would, after that he would just make sporadic appearances. You know, pop up every once in a while. Uh... He was a commissioner in October 2001 at the end of the Invasion Angle for a very brief period of time. Then he would uh, pretty much do independent appearances for the next year. Uh, he refereed a match between Dusty Rhodes and Jerry Lawler on December 12, 2003 for the International International Wrestling Cartel. Jesus. YWC. That sounds crazy. Dusty Rhodes versus Jerry Lawler with, uh, with Mick Foley's The Ref. Probably both at the end of their primes, so they, they pulled out. Probably pulled out a good match. He would go to Japan in May 2004 for the Hustle promotion and face Kawada for the Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship. Jesus, which I did not know until this moment. I didn't either. Uh, he would go to Ring of Honor in September 2004, cut a promo and call ROH Ring of Hardcore. Uh, he refereed a match between Jerry Lawler and Slick Wagner Brown. <laughs> He would uh, confront Ricky Steamboat, who claimed the traditional wrestling was greater, was better than hardcore wrestling at Ring of Honor. Uh, he would lead a team of Nigel McGuinness and Chad Coyler to take on Dan Maff and BJ Whitmer. Uh, yeah, and then he had run-ins with Samoa Joe in ROH, which is really he was interesting. A, he was a big fan of Samoa Joe. He pushed for Samoa Joe coming in like 2006. And uh, CM Punk. Yeah, and he just... You did your basic indie run. Yeah, he's having fun on the indies. But then he would return to WWE in the middle of his indie run in June 2003 to referee the Hell in a Cell match between Triple H and Kevin Nash at Bad Blood. It always seems like when you need a ref for Hell in a Cell, you just call Foley. Yeah, well, well geez, you need a ref for everything. Because look, they did the McMahon versus McMahon match at 17. So here's where I think Foley's best run starts, which is kind of crazy. No, to yeah, say. no, I could, we could definitely talk about this. June 23rd, 2003. Raw is live from Madison Square Garden, and he's presented the retired hardcore championship. But then later on in the evening, Randy Orton establishes himself as the legend killer and punts Mick Foley down a set of stairs. Yeah, he did that. He definitely did that. So in December 2003, Foley returned to replace Austin as the co-general manager of Raw. But that didn't last very long. Uh, he didn't like the full travel and a full schedule. 
So he kind of he was written off storyline when uh, Foley was offered a match against Randy Orton for the Intercontinental Championship, and he he was afraid and he got he got spit on and he walked away. So, uh, yeah, that was basically the end of Foley for until uh, the Royal Rumble 2004, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the then Wachovia Center. Yes, it was home of the greatest basketball team ever, the Harlem Globetrotters. Fuck off. Uh, so Foley would take out Test backstage and take his spot in the Royal Rumble match. He would eliminate um, Orton with a signature Cactus Jack clothesline over the top rope, taking them both out. Oh, yeah, he did that better the, than anybody. Did his, the bang Because his, his body would go across, and then his big fat ass would come, out, come, come over after it. Got a, got a lot of cushion, pal. He does. So he would then go on to uh, feud with all of Evolution. We needed some help. So he made a call to Hollywood, and The Rock came back, and they reformed The Rock and Sock connection the two will go on to do another uh, this is your life then at wrestlemania 20 where it all begins again foley and rock would lose to evolution in a three-on-two handicap match and a not a very good match no which is sad because it's mania at the garden and i'm sure yeah. foley wants to have a it's where it all started for him match. and i believe yeah that was the only mania at the garden that he wrestled at yeah he wasn't there for wrestlemania 10 wasn't there for wrestlemania 1 obviously just which is kind of sad, man. But yeah, this is, he's, he was upset about that as well, about uh, not performing. But he would very he would much more, redeem, he redeem would himself. more than redeem himself the next month at Backlash in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, home of Chris Benoit. Uh, the Rexall Place, I believe, was the arena. Yes, it was. The Rexall Place, the Rexall Place Arena. And now that arena's gone, it is replaced by, I believe, the Rogers Arena. There's so, Every arena in Canada is like named after Rogers. It's crazy. Yeah. But, uh, I wonder what he did. I think it's a TV station, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He had an awesome hardcore match with, Mick, with uh, Randy Orton. Now, let's back up just one bit. Sure. He cut the best promo of his goddamn life. He did. In coming, leaving up to this. He did. When he's just sitting in the rocking chair with Barbie, and he's talking about how like it wasn't the stuff he was seeing with his eyes, it was his eyes that made him go. Yeah. How he was just a killer. They were showing like old like Cactus Jack clips of him taking the bumps in the concrete and... It was just it was just excellent. And once again, go see it immediately after this podcast. And just like Mick Foley legitimized Triple H, he legitimized Randy Orton as the future. Randy Randy Orton will also tell you that. Randy Orton took a fucking beating. He was when I say Randy Orton got juice, Randy Orton got juice. Well he took he took the tax spot. He did. He took the tax spot. And Foley hit an amazing elbow. He did. Off the stage into the, I don't know what the hell you even call that area. Crash pads. That's just crash pad area. Yeah. But the visual you got, I give I give props to Kevin Dunn here. The visual you got like of him just coming at you through your television and yep. landing an elbow. Such a good match. It's incredible. I love that. I'm going to watch, watch that later. later. Oh. Wow. Buy me a fucking we Coke, did, pal. We did not plan that. That was just, <laughs> that's just, that's, that's just, uh, that's natural chemistry right there, brother. Uh. So Foley would appear as a commentator on ECW One Night Stand. Then he would pop up next at... A great pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. Really good pay-per-view. Then he would pop up next at Taboo Tuesday 2005, (laughs) where he would take on Carlito, and the fans got to choose whether he'd be Mankind, Dude Love, or Cactus Jack, and they made the wrong choice. He was Mankind. Mankind's the greatest. So his next appearance would be February 16, 2006, where he would special guest referee a match to the WWE title between Edge and John Cena... And this set up his next great feud, 
which may have legitimized Edge. Foley's done a, <laughs> Foley's doing a lot of legitimizing here. Yeah. Uh, Cena would win the match, and Edge would attack him afterwards. And then that would lead to WrestleMania 22, where we had another great hardcore match. Oh, insane match. I love how uh, Foley wore the, the blue flannel, and everyone's like, oh, this isn't the same Mick Foley. And then Edge went to spear him, and Edge hurt himself on the spear, and everyone's like, what the hell's going on? Foley took out the flannel, revealed he had barbed wire wrapped around himself, and then he had like the traditional red flannel underneath. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It was good great shit. Great stuff. Real good shit. Then, of course, a spot everyone will remember from this match is Foley taking the spear through the, the flaming table. Uh, just another great match, man. I it was. Like, you, you can't explain. He made hardcore matches be like art. Yeah, that they, was they that just, was his that was his best the best quality about. They Mick weren't Foley. just unprotected hair shots to the head. He no, told like, stories. Yeah, and that's what he's known for. He could take a beating by anybody else too. So after this feud with Edge, he uh, said that he respects Edge and he turned heel and allied himself with Edge. And then we got ECW One Night Stand Two, where uh, Mick Foley would team up with Edge to take to and Lita to take on Terry Funk, Tommy Dreamer, and Buell McGillicuddy. Oh Edge. Jesus, that's awesome! You know, did you ever see this match? I think I ever saw One Night Stand Two. Holy shit! You gotta, bro. Foley cut probably one of the best promos of his life. I'll have so to watch it. He's cutting an anti ECW promo, right? And he says, "There was a time I respected ECW. There was a time I respected ECW." when it was run by a great leader, Stephanie McMahon. Long live, <laughs> long live the alliance. And dude, when I tell you the Hammerstein ballroom shit on this. <laughs> oh, man, I can't even imagine. Oh, and Terry Funk almost loses an eye in this match. You got to go watch it. It's so good. Like, Terry Funk almost I feel like Terry Funk almost loses an eye in every match he wrestles. It was, oh, man, bloody match. I'll have to watch it. Bloody. bloody. I bet Beulah gets juice, too, because Beulah was like the king of getting, queen of getting juice. I don't think she gets juice, but she eats a spear from Edge. She gets she eats a spear for the pin from Edge. Does she? Yeah. And like Edge punt. I've not watched it. If not, I've, if I've watched it, I haven't seen it a lot. Edge pins her like he's humping her. Speaking it's, of Edge, I get it. I we get another episode tonight of the NC. Show, we do, which is fantastic, which is awesome, great I, show. I watched the Mooney segment five times. It's a it's it's a great show. So Foley would then get into a rivalry with Ric Flair, where they built off real life animosity. When Foley wrote in his book that Flair was every bit as bad on the booking side of things as he was great on the wrestling side of it. And then Flair took a dig back in his autobiography, calling Foley nothing more than a glorified stuntman, and said that he was only be able to climb the ladder of success in the WWF because he was friends with the bookers. So the two got into a confrontation at Raw in 2003 backstage, like real life, off air. But uh, Who do you take in that fight? See, Flair's a crazy son of a bitch. Like, I feel like Foley would, like, calm down, Rick. Calm, I feel like Foley would try to, like, defuse the situation. Yeah, but, but he can. Oh, yeah, no, Foley could hold his own. I'm, but I'm just saying, like, I feel like Flair would be a crazy son of a bitch to, like... I didn't know about this real-life altercation. Oh, yeah. Obviously, since then, the two have reconciled and they're friends now. But, uh... As wrestling seems to bring out. But... A lot of the real-life animosity showed up in this feud where Flair called Foley glorified stuntman multiple times on TV, and Foley responded by calling Flair a washed-up piece of crap. They two would have their first match at Vengeance 2006 in a two-out-of-three falls match when Flair beat Foley in two straight falls. And then they wrestled in an, an I Quit match at SummerSlam. when Fla bloody. Flair won when uh, Melina threw in the towel after Flair threatened Melina with a barbed wire bat. <laughs> oh man! It was a really bloody match. That was well, yeah, just you know Ric Flair's around a hardcore match is just gonna be red. Yeah. So then the next match 
Well, I mean, Flair bleeds waking up in the morning, so yeah. you can only imagine an I Quit match involving barbed wire. You see he's back on the wagon? I did. That sucks. I mean, it's Ric Flair. I hate to see I saw it coming, but yeah. I saw it coming. So, in the August 21st episode of Raw, Foley kissed Vince McMahon's ass uh, after he threatened to fire Molina. Shortly after, it was a swerve, and Molina turned on Foley and announced that he was fired. So then, Foley uh, would go on to make sporadic appearances again. He somehow weaseled himself into a championship match at Vengeance 2007. Would you have any memory of this? No, do you? Yes. Who was it with? uh, I'm going to tell you who it was with. It was a six-pack challenge. Oh, no. John Cena versus Mick Foley versus Randy Orton versus King Booker versus Bobby Lashley. Four Hall of Famers <laughs> and King Booker. Oh, well, Booker's already <laughs> Yeah, no, I came forward. That's, that's, Jesus, that's a star-studded match. Yeah. So Cena retained. Foley took the pin. A month later, uh, he was a special guest referee in a match between Jonathan Coachman and Hornswoggle. Jesus fucking Christ. Then Foley would team up with Hornswoggle in the January 7, 2008 episode of Raw when he would uh, defeat the Highlanders and they'd both qualify for the Royal Rumble. <laughs> God damn. What were their names? Rory and... Robbie. Rory and Robbie. I'm Rory and I'm Robbie. They were hilarious. So then Mick Foley would debut as a color commentator replacing the coach after the coach left for uh, ESPN, ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports. And Foley said that she wasn't really good at the commentary thing and it didn't really fit him. He didn't like Vince in his ear. He didn't like Vince in his ear, which I'm sure is terrifying. He was written off TV in the August 1st episode of SmackDown when he was attacked by Edge. Uh, Taz replaced him, and then Foley let his contract expire on September 1st. And we are now at the elephant in the room. We have to talk about it. Do we? We do. Bring it on. Mick Foley would sign with TNA on September 3rd, 2008, just two days after his WWE contract expired. Uh, he made his debut at a house show, giving a short speech about how he loved the product, where he also shit on WWE, which one tends to do when they go to TNA at that time, not yeah. anymore, at that time. Uh, Foley made his television debut on the September 18th episode of Impact, where he was announced as, like, the executive shareholder, I believe, was the exact terminology. Yes. He buried the WWE roster. He buried Vince McMahon for letting Kurt Angle walk. And then at Bound for Glory 4 in 2008, he was a special guest enforcer for Jarrett and Angle's match. Uh, Foley was named the co-owner of TNA on October 23rd. Then he does a whole lot of nothing until early 2009. Uh when out of nowhere he became the number one contender for the TNA Heavyweight Championship and in Philadelphia at lockdown he defeated Sting to become the TNA World Heavyweight Champion dear god the Core Center correct? yes Temple and fun fact this is the only TNA pay-per-view I ever ordered I was with a bunch of friends and they wanted to watch it and we ordered it who were you with that wanted to watch that? I think I was with Rob Dudek and his family as a matter of fact I think it was like his uncle or something that's awesome. So, yeah, so we ordered the TNA show, which I have no memory of what happened on that show. I just remember we bought it and fully won. So Mick uh, did not lose the title, even though he lost a triple threat at Sacrifice, because TNA had a convoluted stipulation where everyone put something on the line, and who and whoever got pinned lost what they put on the line. 
That's the most TNA thing I've ever heard in my life. So Sting pinned Kurt Angle, and Kurt Angle lost leadership of the main event mafia. <laughs> the main event mafia. Wait, can I name the main event mafia? Yeah. Was it? It was Angle. Yep. Hogan. No. No. This is pre-Hogan. This is pre-Hogan. Pre-Hogan. Angle. Nash. Yes. Sting. Yes. Booker T. Yes. There's one more. Steiner. Yep. Yeah. You got it. The main event mafia was entertaining. I don't care what anyone says. I like the main the, event mafia. The main event mafia in ring segment when, when Samoa or Steiner called Samoa Joe fat. Yeah. Dude. He's fat. And and the night Scott Steiner and then the night they took over Impact and Scott Steiner was the ring announcer all night. It was great. It's, 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 it's go-to from the great state of obesity, hailing, hailing from, from Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, great stuff. So Kurt Angle would lose the TNA Heavyweight Title at, the, in a, at Slammiversary in a King of the Mountain match, which was another convoluted stipulation. Do you know what King of the Mountain is? Yes. The reverse ladder match. Let's not talk about it. Uh, at Victory Road. He lost to Kurt Angle in a rematch. Uh, in the build-up, he claimed he'd only submit it once in his career, and it was to Terry Funk from a spinning toehold. Jesus Christ. And he vowed he'd never submit again. And, of course, he did submit again. But he wasn't done winning gold in TNA. On July 30th, 2009, he won the TNA Legends Championship by pitting Kevin Nash in a tag team match when it was Nash and Kurt Angle... Against Mick Foley and Bobby Lashley, uh, Nash would win the title back at Hard Justice less than a month later. Mm. Story of his life. So Foley turned heel again when he started a feud with Abyss, and he had he had lost to Foley. He lost to Abyss in a Monsters Ball match, bound for glory. Uh, I like I would like to get peak Joe Park versus peak Cactus Jack, but it would never happen. So he just kind of hangs around TNA for a little bit. Uh, he when they do the ECW reunion, he's a part of that. Uh, eventually, there's a point where Foley is trying to get out of TNA, and they won't they won't let him go. Finally, on June 5th, 2011, they let him go. And he comes back to WWE. Uh, and he's kind of been there since, making sporadic uh, appearances, doing one-offs. Special guest referees. Special guest referee spots. Uh, great. He, he, he did a great segment one time. He was talking about... Uh, Selling things for Christmas on WWE.com. Yeah, and he did he did the three faces. And yeah, there, there, there's a good segment. He appeared on Raw 1000 as Dude Love. You know who he teamed right with? Choice. He was with Brodus Clay. He didn't yeah. team with him. Or no, you know, you're right. You know, you know how he do his uh, Jack Swagger. He faced Jack Swagger. He faced Brodus Clay versus Jack Swagger. It was Dude Love. I'm sure, he had love that match. Yeah, you, you never you never want a match where Brodus Clay is the better worker. So kind of wrapping up the the recap of his career before we get into the legacy. His career went full circle when. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame the night before WrestleMania 29 at Madison Square Garden. Good story. And Jesus Christ, I forgot about this. He became the general manager of Saturday Morning Slam. I forgot about that too. Jesus. I love that show. That show was awesome. Dude, did you ever see did you ever see Daniel Bryan versus Tyson Kidd from that show? No. Look it up. Is that the network? No, they, I wish it was. But I'm sure you can YouTube it. Daniel Bryan rolls himself into a ball so Tyson Kidd can't pin him. It's awesome. That's awesome. And did you ever watch the JBL and Cole show? Yeah. You know, like the Dazzler? Daniel Bryan was the Dazzler on Saturday Morning Slam. Saturday Morning Slam was awesome. It's supposed to be for like five-year-olds, but it was amazing. It was great. The Dazzler. So yeah, that kind of wraps up uh, Mick Foley's career. We should mention that in 2016 he was named the Raw General Manager. 
That is a complete surprise, too, if I remember that correctly. Well, it was supposed to be, but they accidentally uh, dropped the T-shirts like a week before it happened for him oh, and so Daniel Bryan. figured it out. But he was fired as the Rise General Manager before WrestleMania in 2017, and then... Came back, cut an amazing promo before Hell in a Cell 2018. And then he was a special guest referee for the Roman Reigns-Braun Strowman match. <laughs> and Paul Heyman pepper sprayed him. He did. I forgot about that, but now I don't. It's funny. And uh, we should mention that Foley has written three bestsellers in his career. Uh, three number one bestsellers, yes, too, right? Yes. I've read Have a Nice Day. And he's also wrote four children's books, Mick Foley's Halloween Hijinks, Mick Foley's Christmas uh, Chaos, Tales from a Rascal Lane, and A Most Miserable Christmas, which starred the Miz as the heel in this children's he was, book. He was an elf, wasn't he? I believe so, yes. <laughs> So, I guess let's talk about McFoley's legacy. He's going to have two legacies. Yes. One for non-wrestling fans. He'll always be that crazy guy that went off to sell. Yeah. For wrestling fans, he's one of the most gifted storytelling in-ring psychology wrestlers in history. I agree. One of the best promos to ever live. Like, his promos hit were hit and miss, but the ones that hit really, really hit. So, when I think about his legacy... And I don't mean this to be a dig at all, so don't take it that way. But I think Mick Foley is the best supporting cast player of all time. No, that's that's actually that's, I mean Brooklyn Brawler, but uh. Well, Mick Foley's a main event supporting yeah. cast. Character. No, no, I completely I can see that. Uh, he brought star power. He everybody loved him. He, he got made so many guys. He made he so did, many and guys. he put he put together a career on doing that. Yeah. But he could have easily, if you needed him to step into the main event. Okay, make this. We need you for a two-month title run. He could do that as well. Right to 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 take to steal a little bit of a terminology from the fantasy football world. He was the ultimate flex player. Yes, like he was. That's a, that's a good way to put it. He, that's a, he, he can do absolutely everything. He he's an absolutely stunning promo, and there's a reason he's regarded as one of the best ever. What do you think he will be most remembered for? It has to be that hell it's and sell. It's the sell. It's the yeah. sell. It's the sell. It's to sell for Scotty because it was just a stunning moment. Yeah, that never happened before. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Mick Foley, man. Mick Foley has an amazing career. Watch all this stuff. I just strongly suggest the Mind Games match if you've never seen it. Yeah. Really, really strongly suggest the Street Fight with Triple H. Yeah, his 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 feud with Triple H in two thousand. The Orton match is must see. That might be my favorite match he's ever done. Is the Orton match? Yeah. And some of his really early promos in WCW, I suggest watching. Um, there's a there's a great collection on the network. It's the Three Faces of Foley. Yeah, I was watching it, doing a little bit of research, and they actually had the Kane Dewey promo on there, so you can check that out. Oh, do they? Yeah, they do. And he got pissed. Yeah, it's a great little promo. Mick Foley will go down as not only one of the most decorated WWE superstars of all time, just one of the, the most respected people in the yeah, business. Yeah, he's, he's nothing, I've heard nothing bad about him. Yeah, and uh, he plays Santa Claus. The he's stuff just, that man's put his body through for our entertainment is commands respect. Absolutely. So, yeah, man, we hope you enjoyed our three part retrospect on the career of uh, Mick Foley. And we will be right back. That was the bulk of at least most of McFoley's WWF slash WWE run. Um, 
we did his we did his first couple years of his WWE run in part two, which if you also want to check out that episode, it's in the archives as well as well as part one, which covered his early days and his WCW stuff and ECW stuff. But yeah, I think I think that McFoley part three is an underrated aspect aspect it doesn't make any sense an underrated episode that we had done. So for our second retrospective we are giving you in this episode, it's one of our most recent, but I also think it's one of our best. Maybe I'm a little biased, but it is the S.H.I.E.L.D. retrospective that we did. Um, we did that episode when after Fastlane, when it was supposed to be the S.H.I.E.L.D.'s last match, then they had to ruin it and go to a whole network special. But, no, the network special is good. I'm just... But yeah, so Best of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, we cover basically their whole run from start to... Fastlane, um, it's it's kind of sad in retrospective. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure one day the Shield will reunite, but until then, you all will have this retrospective to remember them by. Sierra Hotel, India, Echo Lima, Delta, Shield. Yeah, baby, cocked and loaded. Do you do know, it's a scientific fact, if you cock your arm like a shotgun, it does make you hit harder. Yeah. <laughs> Makes that Superman punch super effective. Makes the drive-bys easier. Is it like, a, is it like, po- is it like Pokemon, where it's like, this move is super effective? It is. But this is one we've been talking about to do for a while. Yeah. And I don't think there's any better time to do it than right now. Yeah, so uh, this could be the end. You know, no one really knows what's going on with Dean. It, it... I feel like Dean doesn't know what's going on with Dean currently. So we figured we might not have a chance to do it for much longer. So and we're coming off the heels of an excellent Shield match. Yeah, last week it was uh, good. I watched it again. It was really good. I'm not gonna call anything with Baron Corbin really. good. He was good. He was fine. He was really good in that he match. Had a fucking chin lock in a pay per view main event. Come it's, on. Yeah, but he also did two. There's two fucking finishers, okay, which are that's all awesome. He got. They're, they're great finishers. They are. I love the deep six. I don't want any other. I want to take one. Oh my I god. I want his I want Mr. Sadbelly to give me a, a deep six. You can't call anybody Mr. Sadbelly. Oh no, I'm just a fat fuck. He's got a sad belly. My his stomach legitimately looks like a face. I don't his I don't stomach does look like a face. It does. It like an Easter Island. He has, a head. Very, he has a very wide belly button. He does. Fucking Tom Pestock. Alright. So the shield. Yeah. Give me one word to describe the shield. Dominant. Groundbreaking. You weren't prepared. This is your bit. You weren't even prepared. I was prepared. I just couldn't think of groundbreaking was one or two words. But there's a hyphen, so it counts. But uh, yeah, they really did change it, didn't they? They did. They they changed it as as a faction, and they're probably three of the five biggest superstars of the 2010s. I think I think we were talking about this the other day. You were asking me if if the Shield was the best uh, stable in WWE history, like not not Four Horsemen. Just straight WWE history. And I think the answer to that has to be an easy yes because, I mean, it's either them or Evolution. And the reason I the reason I say those two is because The Shield created three main eventers and Evolution created two main eventers. On the heels of two previous main eventers. Yeah, right. That was, that was one, current one, one current and one previous. So I think, I think it has to come down. To, I think The Shield is like even more impressive because, yeah, they're getting the rubs by being in there with guys like Cena and, uh, and Kane and Kane. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but you they I feel like they wrestled Kane so they much. Did. They they fucking everyone everyone's wrestled Kane fucking so much. That it, it but, they are pretty incredible. But they came in like just three guys fresh from developmental and all became main event guys. So. Yeah, and props to them because all three of them I'm I'm a big fan of. Yeah. yeah all three guys individually I love. 
So let's kind of talk a little bit about what they were doing before the Shield. So at the time, right before the Shield, Seth Rollins was the uh, NXT champion. He was the first NXT champion. Uh, Roman Reigns had just debuted on NXT as a dude just wearing trunks and being a cocky heel, which is kind of baffling. Like knowing every how everything's gone since. Yeah, it's, un- it's unbelievable. Roman Reigns in trunks is like a weird sight. <coughs> oh yes, I can. I can't like imagine him like outside of the Shield regalia. But yeah, he used to wrestle in trunks and cut promos in suits, and be Tino Sabatelli basically. Yeah, former uh, second round draft pick. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tino Sabatelli. Yeah. What's his real name's like? His real name's like a Savvy. Yeah, it's a stupid Piscatelli name. or something. It's a stupid name. It's very Italian. It's a very Italian name. Yeah, it's it's. Or as he, Jim Ross would say, Italian. Uh, that is how he would say it. <laughs> but so Seth was the NXT champion. Yes, the well, only NXT champion in history at the time. Yes. Yes. Um. So Roman was just a heel in NXT, and Dean Ambrose actually never debuted on NXT. He had a he had a run in FCW. He had a great feud with William Regal in, S- in FCW. He did. I, I I'm actually very aware of it. WrestleMania 28 weekend. He cut a promo on Mick Foley during Fan Access, and it seemed like they were going somewhere with it, like if it was going to be like his main roster debut or something. Isn't that what Foley said? If he was to come back for one match, it'd be with yeah, be with yeah, Ambrose. yeah. And then like it just got dropped. And I remember hearing a rumor that Ambrose and Foley did it on their own without like WWE telling them to do it. I don't know how true that is. I don't how... think Foley did that. Well, no, like they they basically like <coughs> they were talking and they said, hey. Like, I don't think they meant for it to be an angle. It was just, like, kind of, like, to put Dean over on Twitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, but WWE never did anything with it. And then, basically, from June 2012, when FCW turned in NXT, to November, when The Shield formed, Dean was just doing house show loops at the main roster, but never actually debuted on TV. So it'd kind of be interesting if The Shield wasn't an idea on how soon Dean would have debuted, because he's already doing house show loops with the main roster. Um, and I find it interesting how Seth debuted, uh, on the main roster while still NXT champion, and the only other person I could think of doing that was Kevin Owens. I guess, if you want to count Tommaso Ciampa, too, but, but, but I really... No, you're not. He, like, he didn't have the belt. He had the belt, but I, that was kind of like, it wasn't planned, it was kind of like rushed, you know what I mean? Yes. So, yeah. But no, yeah, Kevin Owens uh, interrupted the scene, did yeah. he not? Yeah. And even Stranger, they never mentioned Rollins as the NXT champion once. On TV, well, that was still when NXT was like, yeah, oh, well, this, this is not going to be a thing. So listen, listen, the crazy part, crazy part about that is, I used to fucking because back then NXT was only on TV if you lived in Florida. It was on local Florida television. Correct, you're absolutely right. And I would wait on YouTube every week to find the latest episode of NXT because it was still very good. Like they still had guys like well, Big Jesus e was Christ, there. the talent, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, incredible, yeah, Cesaro and Kid. We were there at that time, I believe. I, well, at this point, Cesaro's U.S. champ. So, was he? At this so time? You're a little, little, he gets sent back to feud with Zayn a little late, about six months later. Which so you're about which birthed a fantastic match. Yeah, you're about six months off. Um, but Big E was there. Rollins was there. Uh, Roman was there. Uh, Adrian Neville. Cassius Ono was there. Adrian Neville was there. Corey Graves is there. The Wyatts were there. A lot of great talent. It's a hell of a fucking roster. A lot of great talent. Uh, CJ Parker, Juice Robinson was there putting on some... Enzo talks about him, a lot of him in his most recent interview. Yep. It, uh, I guess him, Finn Balor, and Enzo were boys, which is quite the fucking crew. That is quite the crew. 
Like an unbelievable crew. So anyway, their debut would come uh, at Survivor Series. It was a triple threat. John Cena, Ryback, we watching it live. and CM Punk. And then out of nowhere, three guys in turtlenecks. Thank God they dropped the turtlenecks. Came out. And the interesting part was, I, I really, in hindsight, I really love the way they did the, the debut. Because they never touched Cena. They no. only beat up Ryback. So, like... I mean, well, that's a good thing. Obvious, obviously, obviously, like, the common the common sense is that Cena wasn't behind the shield. Because they'd never turn him heel. But there was that little speck of doubt in your mind. It's like, they never touched Cena. They didn't. They absolutely didn't, which, which was very well done. So let's kind of let's kind of talk about the characteristics of the shield. So the beginning of the shield, they they were their intentions were to fight what they perceived as injustice. They would, they were cutting promos in NXT about like people losing their jobs and like balance in the world. It was actually some really good shit. I was watching it and today. all the promos are very different than anything else going on in WWE at the time. It was all camcorder footage that they would like hold like they were taking a selfie. Uh and basically cut promos to a camcorder. Fun fact, it's actually in Dean Ambrose's first elite figure. It came with a camcorder as an accessory. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so they quickly dropped the turtlenecks and uh, basically got, I guess it would kind of be like riot gear would be the best way to describe it. Like riot bulletproof vests. They were looking They were looking like they were doing a drug raid in Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, it was like military police, basically. Yeah. And did you ever see the... I think it was like an episode of WWE Warehouse on YouTube or something. They originally had shield. They had shields. the actual shield. And thank, thank fucking God. God. Thank God they never. Can you imagine them walking out of the fucking crowd with shield? None shields? of those guys was sniffing a championship. If they came out. If they came out with right. And shields. it said shield on it in huge letters. You know whose idea that was. <laughs> you know you absolutely know whose idea that was. Testify. God damn, pal. What if they had shields? That's their name, Vince. I don't care. <laughs> so another thing is. Uh, they would always enter the ring through the crowd. They never came through the back. Which, to this day, is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's cool. My, I have a non-wrestling fan, or no, a friend, I know you're talking who about. absolutely adores the Shield yeah. and thinks the entrance through the crowd is fucking awesome. He must, oh man, did you ever show him the Sandman? <laughs> I did. Oh, but I was, I was. Sa- not the same reaction. Not the same reaction, but there's another friend I have that we think is the Sandman, so. <laughs> I think, I think you can put that <laughs> yeah. one together, too. Yeah. Yep. But, uh. You know, he, he loves it, and to this day, like, it's just. It's unbelievable. And those three guys, before we t- get into the really details of this, those three guys together are special. Yeah. They're special. The way they they, they move as one I was just gonna, unit. I was just going to say, like, those early Shield matches, like, the, the the double and triple teams that they'd pull off was basically their trademark. Like, I just, Seth and Seth was so good. JBL used to say that they would have the numbers advantage even when it was three on three. That's how well they worked as a team. And, and they like, did. That's such, like, a great little, like, I guess it'd be cliche. That's, like, a great little cliche because it's true. Like, their double and triple teams were crazy. I, I love, like... Seth would tag Dean, then uh, Dean would immediately tag back out to Rome, and they're like they just keep tagging in, tagging out. No, like they had it down. Yeah. They they like up to this day they have it down. So let's let's kind of talk let's kind of talk about what their characters were at the beginning because one of the things I find really interesting about the Shield is the roles changed over time. Like it it evolved. It did. So at the beginning, Dean Ambrose is clearly the leader. Um, he was the mouthpiece of the group. He was he was the more vocal one in promos. He'd always say the most. Cut fucking awesome promos, too. He'd always say the most. Seth Seth would talk a decent amount, then Roman would say very little. Should have probably, probably should have kept it 
more along those lines. Yeah. Not saying he's a bad talker. But, but that was, so it worked. He's it worked a better silent very, person. It worked very well. Yes. So Roman was uh, the powerhouse, the heavy hitter. Um, he was uh, the least talkative. And I guess he kind of had like a quiet strength, but he had like this weird air of confidence about him. He did. He like, I understand, I understand 100% of the reason why he's in the position he is now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the position he will return to, if that makes any sense. So, originally, Seth Rollins was kind of the chaotic one. He'd take all the risks in ring-wise. And he still does? Yeah. And his role was basically the high flyer of the group. And that was the dynamic for a little bit. So, we probably should talk before, but how do you want to do this? Do we want to talk about how the characters shift over time now, or do we want to do it like in real time as they shift? We'll do it in real time. Okay, cool. I like that. All right. So, as we said, they debuted at a Survivor Series. Um... They put Ryback through a table, allowing Punk to pin Cena, who had just been hit with uh, what the... was the name of Ryback's finisher? Shit. Meat Shell-shocked. Hook? Shell-shocked. That was the meat hook. No, that was the clothesline he did. Oh, yeah, you're right. Shell-shocked is the name of his finisher. What's he, a fucking Ninja Turtle? I don't know. I don't... Fuck that guy. Never mind. Let's keep, <laughs> it, keep going. So, uh, He's such a dick. So Punk pins Cena to retain the title. Uh, November 26th on Raw, the night after Survivor Series, they were first identified as the Shield, and they vowed to rally against injustices... And they said they weren't working for anyone, even though many people thought that they were working with Punk or Heyman. So the next few weeks on Raw and SmackDown, they would, routine, they would routinely attack people that Punk were feuding with, such as Ryback, Babyface Miz, which was <laughs> bad. Much worse than it is now. I think it's still bad now. Team Hell No. And they attacked Randy Orton after he defeated the Maddox, um, who was the referee going back even further. That helped CM Punk beat Ryback inside Hell in a Cell with a low blow heard, heard around the world. Jesus. Um, so the Shield's first match would be on pay-per-view, TLC, 2012, Brooklyn, New York, the Barclays Center, where they took on the team of Team Hell No, Daniel Bryan and Kane, and Ryback in a three-on-three tables, ladders, and chairs match. Um, they would obviously win the match... Uh, Rollins took a crazy bump off a ladder through, like, four tables, and, like, one of the tables didn't break and, like, hit him in the head. I remember this. He, he got... I you can hear a collective, ooh, from the yeah, crowd. It was, a, it was bad times. Um, after TLC, they would continue to attack people such as Ric Flair, Brodus Clay, and Sheamus. One of those names is not like the other. Exactly. Uh, the Shield exta- expanded their ambushes to other guys such as Mick Foley, Tommy Dreamer, and Ricardo Rodriguez. Once again, one of those names is not like the other. <laughs> Uh, the Shield also uh, attacked people to write, write people off for injuries. Randy Orton and Sin Cara were hurt. They both took Shield beatings. On the January 2nd, 2013 episode of NXT, which was taped back in December, the Shield made their first appearance in NXT. So pretty much two months after they debuted on the main roster before they made an NXT appearance. Which is kind of interesting considering Seth Rollins is the freaking NXT champion. Yes, right? I mean, they got a pass. Um... Rollins defended his title against Corey Graves when Ambrose and Reigns attacked Graves and caused a disqualification. After the match, the Shield basically beat up the whole locker room like geeks, but then one man came out and stopped them. Three ain't enough, man. I need five. Big E Langston. I wish you could tenure the five count. Yeah, it was a nice little tribute to Bundy. May he rest in peace. Uh, on the January 9th episode of NXT, which was taped on the same date as the previous episode, Rollins lost the NXT title to Big E in a no-DQ match. 
after the NXT <laughs> locker room came out and beat up the Shield, even though they just all got beat up last week. 50-50 booking at its finest. Brother. So that would be the end of the Shield in NXT. They literally lasted one night, one night of tapings, but they clearly weren't needed in NXT anymore. Their purpose was on the main roster. And they were destined for unbelievable things. Yep. So on January 7th, they once again helped CM Punk by attacking Ryback during the TLC match for the WWE Championship, allowing Punk to retain the title. On January 21st, they took out The Rock, who happened to be Punk's uh, opponent at the Royal Rumble, uh, resulting in Mr. McMahon saying that if The Shield interfered at the Royal Rumble, CM Punk would be stripped of the WWE title. Set on SmackDown, Punk denied an alliance with The Shield, and he called about and told him he didn't want to interfere in, their title ma- in his title match at the Rumble. So, at the Rumble, title match is going on, and then all of a sudden, we fade to black. It wasn't Alistair. It was the Shield coming out of the crowd, putting The Rock through a table, allowing Punk to pin The Rock and retain the WWE title. So we thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. McMahon then came out and said, uh, Pal, I'm stripping you the title. But then Rock cut the corniest promo of all time when he took the microphone and said, No, you won't take it from him. I will. <laughs> and then he pinned Punk with a people's elbow, ending his 434 world title, world... 434-day world championship reign. And as you can tell, I'm still pretty pissed about it. Yeah, you're not happy. No. Punk's a bitch, so... Uh... Well, maybe if, maybe if this never happened, you wouldn't have left. That's true. Um, but anyway. The next night, it was revealed that uh, Paul Heyman had been paying the Shield and Brad Maddox to work for them all, all along. And Mr. Man fired Heyman him. Heyman was so good in those backstage segments. Mr. Man fired him, but then Brock Lesnar came out and killed Mr. Man with an F5. I remember that. Oh, my God. Dropping him right on his hip when he already needed hip surgery. Yeah, well, that, then, then he got hip surgery, didn't he? Well, yeah. That, he was getting the hip surgery yeah. no matter what. So he said, Fucking fuck mother, motherfucker wrote himself off TV. I guess he said, fuck it. You might as well just drop me right on my hip. So then, on January 28th, the Shield attacked John Cena as well as Sheamus and Ryback. Uh... Maddox then called out the Shield the next week and revealed that he was the one who gave McMahon the footage showing them working for Heyman. This prompted the Shield to attack Maddox until they were forced to retreat after Cena, Ryback, and Sheamus uh, made the save. The Shield justified their attacks. That's the thing. Every time the Shield attacks somebody, they would uh, give a reason. So they were heels, but I guess that kind of made them baby faces because they weren't like they're just being dicks. They were in. They were. They created a new world. For yeah. Them. Yeah. Like. Like, there was, it was Justice is Dirty. They were, they were basically like fucking Batman. They were. They were basically the collective union like, of Roman Reigns, They're like Seth Batman Rollins. and Batman leaned more towards the villain side. Because they were definitely leaning towards yeah, they, the villain they, they side. Were, they, were, they were heel Batman. Yeah, they were heel Batman. Um, so they justified their attacks on Cena, saying it was a decade of injustice. Uh, basically, the way he treated young, up-and-coming talent. Which, fair. Yes, they're, yeah, fair. Oh, speaking of that... I was just watching Extreme Rules in preparation for the show. Oh, yeah. Watching Extreme Rules 2013. Just watch that because Kane was defending a title. No, Cena versus Wyatt. That's 2014. 2014, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. Wow, was Wyatt over before Cena destroyed him. Wyatt's push ended that night because a fucking kid in a sheet mask came out and sang in a weird voice. Yeah, that wasn't a good idea. That was bad. He has the whole world. But he was over. Incredibly over. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, this set up a six-man tag match at February 17th at Elimination Chamber. Wish the Shield won. They continue their feud against Sheamus, having several matches in him, culminating to WrestleMania 29, an event that I was at, where the Shield defeated Sheamus, Randy Orton, and Big Show. 
And then after the match, Big Show turned on his team because that's what he does. It's exactly what he does. On April 8th, they started arguably their highest profile feud to date, The Undertaker. They um, were made that yeah. day. Um, they were ultimately made, forced to retreat by Team Hell No, and this led to a match, The Shield versus The Brothers of Destruction. Oh, wait. JBL has the greatest call in the history of wrestling. Yeah. And that happens. Hit me with it. He goes, brother just showed up. It just... <laughs> And Kane is just fucking. <laughs> Kane is just running. Oh my god! Down. I'll show you that when we stop that. It's yeah, unbelievable. He goes, brother just showed up. <laughs> and Kane has the stupidest run you'll ever see in your life. He runs like Braun but flat-footed. So this this leads to the Shield taking on the Brothers of Hell now. Um, Undertaker, Kane, and Daniel Bryan. Shield came in in a helicopter that night. Awesome entrance. Uh, wish the Shield won. And then on SmackDown, Dean Ambrose faced the Undertaker in a singles match. That's that's big. Once he, again, made. He lost via submission, but after the match, the Shield took out the Undertaker, triple powerbomb him through the announce table, and he wasn't seen again until the build to WrestleMania 30. Ambrose then started a feud with Kofi Kingston, while Rollins and Reigns started feuds with Team Hell No as they all set their eye on championship gold. Or bronze, because the tag titles were bronze back then. Yes. Fucking Roman soldiers. So, at Extreme Rules 2013, the event I thought you were talking about... Dean Ambrose would go on to defeat Kofi Kingston to become the United States champion. And uh, Rollins and Ambrose, Rollins and Reigns, excuse me, would go on to defeat Kane and Daniel Bryan in a tornado tag team match to become the WWE My personal tag favorite tornado tag team match. You like tornado tag matches? Love a tornado tag match. I feel like that kills the point of tag team matches. SmackDown, No Way Out, I used to play them all the time. SmackDown, No Way Out? You mean yes. Know Your Role? Yes, Know Your Role. SmackDown, No Way Out, there it is. SmackDown, Know Your Role, I used to play them all the time. It used to be Scotty Tuhati. And me and me and Rikishi used to kick some ass. Go to the times. People are paying, playing 2K19 these days. It's ridiculous. Although those old WWE oh, they're, games they're the best. were phenomenal. Here Comes the Pain is like my favorite game ever. That might be the one I was talking about. I, I had a P- rock on the cover. Yeah. Yeah, Here Comes the Pain is like my favorite one ever. All right. Back to the Shield, shall we? Yes. From May to August, the Shield defended their titles against several opponents. Ambrose feuded with Kingston, Kane, and Rob Van Dam. Well, Rollins and Reigns would feud with Team Hell No, the odd combination of Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton, and the Usos. On August 19th, The Shield would begin their new role in working with the COO of the WWE, Triple H, where they would help Randy Orton against his rivals, such as Daniel Bryan, Big Show, Dolph Ziggler. Uh, basically, I would to talk shit on Triple H and deal with the Hounds. And this is also, they became known as the Hounds of Justice because they delivered justice and they were dogs. Excellent, excellent names. Yes. One of those dogs was big, though. <laughs> that, that's true. One of those dogs was just significantly larger than all the other dogs. Speaking of that, did you, uh, on Raw last week, did you hear Michael Cole hype up the Here Comes the Big Dog? He goes, guys, Dude. I'm sorry I gotta do this to you, Dude. but here comes he's the been, big dog. He's been setting up his, he's been setting up his uh, catchphrases recently. I love it. He goes, yeah. Guys, guess what's coming to Pittsburgh? Guess what's coming to Pittsburgh? <laughs> it's Valor Cole. Yeah, I, was, I laughed like I laughed for about fifteen minutes. <laughs> I love Michael Cole. Mike- you know who my ideal faction is? Oh God, no. Michael Cole. What? Adam Cole and former Pittsburgh Pirate Garrett Cole. And I'm gonna think of other Coles like that in this faction now because he got something going here. Kenneth Cole. <laughs> Trent Cole. Trent Cole. Yes. Trent Cole's a thousand percent in this fucking Pro game. Hunt fifty eight is going to be. What about in there. Norris Cole? I I have not thought about Norris Cole since the two thousand twelve NBA. What finals. about Norris Cole? Norris Cole, baby. He's he's into he's in. Yeah, 
I can't even, I'm all out of famous coals. Are we calling it the coal mine? Yes, we are okay. calling it the coal mine. Okay. Coal mine. I think you got buy W2K19 in like fantasy book this now. I, I might. I, I just might. I think you got it. So anyway, Night of Champions roll around in September. The Shield will enjoy successful title defenses. Uh, Ambrose defeated the Zigman, Dolph Ziggler. While Rollins and Reigns defeated the prime time players. Millions of dollars. Money. <laughs> I almost said money, money, yeah, yeah, but that was crime time. Two very different tag teams. Extremely different tag teams. Yes, yes. But all you want is you just got to grab your furry and pop a rolly. It's crime time. Love them. Uh, you're going to love this next one. At Battleground on October 6th, one of the most emotional matches I've ever watched. I shit you not. Goldust and Cody Rhodes were kayfabe fired, and then they came out with Dusty. I'm getting chills talking about it. it Goldust Gold Dust had the best Raw match. Oh, with uh, with Randy with Orton, Orton in yeah. that stretch. Yeah, it was it's the, it, it was like to this day one of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah, he he looked awesome in that match. Oh man, that was. Could you? Can I just say one thing? Yeah. You know, he, I know I'm. The, I'm. Podcast, you can say more than one. Thing. I'm in the minority here, and Goldust is my favorite wrestler of all time. You, I'd say so. Yeah. Can you not agree with me that he has the best twisting body slam in the history of wrestling? It's him or Orton. Orton's is good, man. Goldust fucking just rips. Did you it. see that video I sent you of uh, Goldust taking double mist? I think so, dude. You took mist from Amuda and Tajiri. Awesome. I actually no, I didn't. And then I don't get all the notifications if you send it to me via direct message. I think, yeah, I think I sent it in your Twitter DM. So I'll have to watch it. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And it's like it's black rain, but it's gold dust. Oh god. But it's black rain in his gold dust outfit, and he's fat. <laughs> he was very fat as black rain. All right, he's the opposite of the shield. So let's let's keep going here. Uh, so Cody Rhodes and Goldust defeat uh, defeated Rollins and Reigns. Awesome. Uh, after Dusty stopped Ambrose from interfering. Cody he took Rhodes, the fucking belt off. He dropped the bionic elbow. Cody was Rhodes awesome. delivered like the most emotional crossroads of all time. He let out like a primal scream before he hit it, and Rollins sold like a motherfucker on it. And Cody and Goldust won and got their jobs back. Um, then on the September 23rd Raw, they lost an 11 on 3 handicap match, which seems kind of <laughs> unfair. Um. <laughs> Oh, is that when everybody just kept coming out and then Evolution came out? No, 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 no. They're still heels at this point. They're still heels at this point. But uh, Oh, they turned on Kane, didn't they? Yes, they did. Because he, he was going to beat the fuck out of Jerry Lawler in Memphis. Yes. And then they, they, they turned on Kane. Yeah, so they're, they're still heels at this point. Um, But in, some of the people in this 11-on-3 handicap match include the Usos, Dolph Ziggler, and Daniel Bryan, the primetime players, Rob Van Dam, just the whole smorgasbord board of people. Yeah, I mean, it's 11 people. On October 14th, uh, Reigns and Rollins lost the WWE Tag Team Championships to the Rhodes Clan in a no-DQ match after interference from Paul White. Dude, did, didn't he just come running down the, the down the steps? Because he was fired. I believe so. I know at some point, I don't think it was this, but at some point Big Show came out in a fucking semi-truck. He did. Yeah. And he's doing the yes chant on yes. top of it. Yes, which is just unbelievable. <laughs> Unreal. On the, October 20th, on the October 16th episode of Main Event... There's a show you haven't heard about. If In 2012-2013, main event was relevant. Yeah, it was on the CW, wasn't it? No, it was on a... Uh, shit, it was on Ion TV. Ion TV. It's, sorry, it's Channel 7 and Channel 8. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, that, that was the same deal with Superstars. Like, when they start a show, it's usually relevant for, like, the first two years, then it just becomes a jobber show. And, like, main event was relevant in 2012-2013. He defended, and on that episode of main event, Ambrose retained his U.S. title against Ziggler. 
on uh, October 27th at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. The Rhodes clan retained their tag titles against the Usos and the Shield. And Ambrose retained the U.S. title uh, against Big E Langston, who still had his last name at this point in 2013. Thank Shocking. God they changed that. Was Langston really that bad? I mean, I guess it's kind of geeky. Langston sounds like a crawfish. A <laughs> crawfish? Like a seen lobster. Oh, my God. You're still fucking stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's literally the name of it. If you, if you go I know, to, but if you go to Red Robin, they or not Red Robin. Red if you go to Red Lobster, Lobster, they have a dip made of Lagostino Lobster. I bet they do. Piggy Lagostino. Jesus Christ. So in uh, so here's about the time where the where the roles begin to change. Uh, Ambrose became more verbally arrogant, and this is where he kind of became the lunatic. Like he wasn't calculated and cunning anymore. Now he was just kind of a wild man. Yeah, this is where he started fucking diving off ropes. Yeah, this is. This is where the shift happened. And now Roman Reigns is becoming more confident. He's talking more. And Seth Rollins at this point has become the leader out of nowhere. He became the architect, the, the outspoken hothead who will do anything to help the Shield. Um, he was also known as the aerialist for a short time, which the architect is much better. I wonder who came up with that. Um, That's as like a quote was if I've ever heard it. An interesting tidbit about uh, being about the architect name. Rollins said he came up for it because he was the one who came up for the blueprints or most of their matches. He put he put most of their matches together. So like the architect in kayfabe was he was the one who built the shield. But outside of kayfabe, he was literally putting the blueprint together for Ambrose and Reigns. That's a nice little tidbit. I did not know. Yeah, and Joey Mercury also helped a lot. Yeah, he was like their producer. Yeah, wasn't he? like yeah, he was he specifically like you work exclusively with them. Oh, here's an interesting thing we didn't talk we didn't touch on. So in the Colt Cabana podcast, uh, the infamous episode with CM Punk, uh, <coughs> Dick. <laughs> Sorry, weather not Tuesday. Punk said the Shield was his idea, and that his three guys were Ambrose, Rollins, and Cassius Ono. I knew that. And do you think that fat fuck well was in the Shield? He wasn't fat yet. You're right. He wasn't, but he he's still fat a fat yet. fuck now. What do you got against Cassius Ono? I don't. I love Cassius Ono. <laughs> I saw Cassius Ono wrestle when I was nine years yes, old. I think you've told this story the past three weeks. I was. I, you want to hear it again, people? No, no they don't. I, I think that I hear a yes chant. <laughs> he doesn't do that anymore. We're, we're, we're the new Daniel. We're, we're environmentally friendly here at Champions Advantage. We're the least environmentally friendly people. Speak for there's, yourself. There's four plastic there, bottles there on this table. There are a lot of plastic bottles on this table. And plastic plates and fucking paper plates. And a deck of cards. Well, that's, that's not. With a fucking spur on the back. Hey, that is not Boris Dio. Jesus Christ. Um, do you know who came up with the name The Shield? This is interesting. This is a fact I just looked up. Who came up with it? WWE Spanish announcer Marcelo Rodriguez. I'm a little upset that it's not Carlos Cabrera, but I'll take it. So, my point with the Cassius Ono thing was, how different do you think The Shield would have been if Cassius Ono was there instead of Roman Reigns? I don't know. I don't think we can't answer that. Do you think right now uh, Cassius Ono would be the big dog? No. Do you think it would, Do you think this would be Cassius Ono's yard? Absolutely not. <laughs> Why not? He's... Only if there was a grill in the yard, Cassius Ono would be there. <laughs> that's, that's awful. That's terrible. Don't tell me he, has, he doesn't just grill some brats on, on wherever, he's, wherever he's at. <laughs> he looks like he drinks, eats brats and Budweiser and nothing else. You're such a fucking asshole i am chapter three cracks in the shield you like what i did there i did 
What, now, what if now I would appreciate if they had actual shields? If when they started fighting, there would be a little more crack, like the fucking Liberty Bell. Right. That's that's what I would like. So the seeds were starting to uh, to to show. Reigns and Rollins were visibly frustrated on an episode of Raw when Dean Ambrose boasted about being the only guy left of the title. I remember that. Promo. This is this is kind of where Dean is becoming a lunatic and a fucking wild man. He's not cunning anymore. He used to think very closely about what he said. Now he's saying whatever the fuck comes in his mind. It's the character development here is really, really fucking interesting. All not not just one. Usually, like, like an evolution. Batista's role switched when he was about to break up from the faction. He became like smart. In the Shield, all three of their roles changed. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's very interesting. Well, I think they were trying to figure out who was the star. And in the, in the, in the, I mean, they got three out of it, but like. Think about it. Odds are one of those guys was going to be the fucking guy. I think they were waiting for the crowd thing, and I'm telling you, the crowd chose Reigns. They well, chose Reigns. Well, we're getting here because this is where Roman gets shifted to being the star. Survivor Series 2013. The Shield teaming up with the Real Americans to take on the team of Rey Mysterio and the Rhodes Clans and the Usos in a Survivor Series elimination match. Ambrose was the first man eliminated in about five seconds. Rollins got... One got one elimination, and then Reigns eliminated everybody else. And that's what the booing started. No, it isn't. No, he was. I don't know if you remember Royal Rumble twenty fourteen. Oh, oh, you're right. He was, he was over his shit. Well, people realize what you're being forced down our throats. The fans chose Roman Reigns out of the Shield. They chose him. But let me play devil's advocate. Shouldn't they be able to unchoose him then? They, sh- I no. We're arguing the same point. Well, no, you're saying. You're saying like fans shouldn't get mad that fans get mad that Roman's the guy because they chose him, right? Yeah. Well, then they unchose him and he's still the guy. Fair enough. I mean, I'm not. I, don't I hate when it makes sense. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But like, am I, am I remember that correctly? No, or yeah, I just fucked up. Like he was the yes, like the fans. He, he was over as fuck. So in November, uh, so in November, they started a feud with CM Punk, and this would lead to a match at the December fifteenth tables, ladders, and chairs when it was a three-on-one handicap match against The Shield, which led to the infamous story, also on the Colt Cabana's podcast, where five different producers came up to CM Punk that day and said, Punk, you're going to win, but you got to make Roman look strong. And then another producer came up, hey, Punk, you got to make Roman look strong. And then Punk finally snapped on him and said, no, I'm just going to fucking bury the guy. hit him all in my finish. He said, of course, I know what I'm doing. I'll make him look fucking strong. So, Punk would win the match. And the finish would come once Ambrose is accidentally speared by Reigns and then Punk took advantage. And, uh, yeah. This this make Roman look strong got to the point where Punk just said, let me fucking lose the match. He'll look strong if he fucking beats me. And then he said, no, we want you to win. And then he fucking, his brain exploded after And that. then he took his ball and went home. We're, we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. <clears throat> so... Stop, stop your little cough bullshit. That's, is that your gimmick this week? Every week, every, you're like fucking, you're Bruce Prichard with a box of gimmicks. Every week is fucking something new. Just fucking calm your roll and know your role and shut your mouth, jabroni. And let me take the lead here and you fucking do your color commentary. Oh, well. That's what we do here. So that is what we do. That is what we do. All right, cool. So... At this point, the rumor began going around that the Shield breakup was coming. We're still months away, but 
they heard this rumor and they asked to stay together because they're lack as singles wrestlers on the main roster. Uh, so we're now in t early 2014. Punk still beating Punk still feuding with the Shield. He beat he beat Dean one on one. He beat Roman one. I mean he beat Rollins one on one. And then Roman is the only one who beat Punk in a one on one match. I remember this because it led to a Piper's Pit, didn't it? Yes. And the sanction just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Royal Rumble time. All three members of the Shield competed, uh, including Seth Rollins, lasted a long-ass time, came in at number two. Uh, this is where Roman Reigns would beat Kane's record for most eliminations in a single Royal Rumble. Goddamn shame. Which was then later broken by Braun Strowman, but I think it's bullshit that I count it since there were 50 guys in that Rumble. Yeah, what are you eliminating, like 20 guys? <laughs> something like that. It was something crazy. Um, One of them being Tucker Knight, so I didn't count. Uh, but in this Royal Rumble match... Reigns eliminated both Ambrose and Rollins after Ambrose tried to eliminate Reigns. Um, Reigns finished runner-up in the match. He set the record with 12. Ambrose and Rollins each had three eliminations, and Rollins spent the second longest amount of time in the match besides CM Punk. So everyone got a decent amount of shine in the match. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but when it came down to Roman and Batista, people were behind Roman big. Yeah. I don't know if that was more anti-Batista or more pro-Roman, but... Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Because there was a lot of backlash towards Big Dave at the time. which Blue Tista. I am actually glad there was a lot of blowback against Big Dave at the time because it turned him heel, and Big Dave is awesome as a heel. He is fantastic as a heel. So. Oh, he must be making some good money as a nose ring model. Dude. Out of all the lines in that promo you want that, you couldn't go with the Guardians of the Independent scene. That was excellent. R.I.P. Fab. So on January 27th, which is now the night Punk walked out, just in case you're wondering, The Shield faced the team of Daniel Bryan, John Cena, and Sheamus in a six-man tag team match where the winning team would have qualified for the Elimination Chamber match. Uh, the Shield lost by DQ after the Wyatt family interfered and attacked uh, Cena and Bryan. The Shield vowed revenge, therefore a match was set up, which JBL dubbed the Hatfields versus the McCoys. Of course he did. Yeah. The most JBL thing. Um, with the Shield and Wyatt both being heels, WWE positioned the Shield as the team that the audience should root for, but they didn't necessarily turn them babyface yet. Um, the Shield was willing, like for example, it'd be little things. Like on February 10th, the Shield wanted to fight, but the Wyatts were the one that backed down. And then uh, Ambrose did an open challenge for the U.S. title, but the Shield interfered, so they were still keeping them heel, yet kind of making them babyfaces in this feud. Kind of, kind of like. Kind of like what they did with uh, uh, Shayna Baszler and Bianca Belair. Bianca was a heel. Almost exactly. But they positioned her as the babyface in the feud, but they still kept her a heel. Yeah. Um, so at the actual match at the Elimination Chamber, the Shield would lose to the Wyatt family. Ambrose and Bray Wyatt brawled into the crowd, but Bray returned to the ring, but Ambrose never did, giving the Wyatts the three-on-two advantage. Um, Rollins and Reigns uh, got outnumbered and overwhelmed and were eventually pinned. They questioned Ambrose about this the next night, but he promised he was laid out and didn't intentionally, like, screw them. There was a rematch. There was a rematch on March 3rd. The Shield lost again when the Shield's poor teamwork, which up to this point had been so good, they had been so known for their teamwork, it just wasn't there. And it was so bad that Rollins walked out during the match and claimed that he had enough of being the glue that held this team together. So, they really set this up for months, didn't they? Yeah, they were, they were, it was coming. And they still fucking got us. It was coming, yeah. The cracks were there, but on the March 7th episode of SmackDown, The Shield, 
met in the ring to clear the air of all their disarray. And Rollins explained that uh, him walking out wasn't out of disrespect to the Shield. It was the force Ambrose and Reigns to see eye to eye and finally get back on the same page of working together as a team. Nice. And it worked. So they're they're really they're going loops and bounds at this story. Um The Shield would then turn babyface and everyone would kind of forget about the breakup that was looming. On Kane. Against Kane. Yep. During the storyline, uh Kane was helped by his authority teammates, the New Age Outlaws. Yeah. That, that happened. The New Age Allies even got a tag title reign out of it. They did. They beat Cody Rhodes and Goldust at the Royal Fuck Rumble. Them. Um, at WrestleMania 30, the Shield won a squash match against Kane and the Outlaws. Then, the next night, one of my favorite storylines started. I see the line in the sand. No one knows that. Who I am. I fucked that That's up. That's not the next line at all. I fucked that up horribly. All right, let's just move on. Oh, sorry, Lem. <laughs> the Shield uh, started a storyline against Triple H, who, meeting some partners, reunited Evolution. This would lead to the segment you're talking about where all the heels just beat up the Shield, leaving them for dead when Evolution came out and finished the job. This would lead to a fun match at Extreme Rules 2014 where Dave Bautista and his Red 28s would team up with Randy Orton and Triple H take on the Shield in a six-man tag team match. Highlights of this match would include uh, Rollins jumping off the balcony um, and Reigns pinning Dave Batista with a spear. I watched it this morning. It was awesome. Yeah. Anything to add since you freshly watched it? It I was. I was kind of talking out of memory of the last time I watched it, which was a while those ago. Those three, like, I just, it's, it's so hard to explain how well those three work together. I love the rolls into the tags. Yeah. Someone's always there. It's just, it's some, it's some just really good shit, as the kids are saying nowadays. So. The next night on Raw, Triple H forced Dean Ambrose to defend his United States title in a 20-man battle royal with Reigns and Rollins being banned from the ringside area. Do you know who eliminated Dean Ambrose to win the match? Jack Swagger. No. Who? Think about it. He had a holiday recently. Rusev? Sheamus. Oh. Sheamus. Sheamus became the United States champion. Sheamus. And then at Payback... They would defeat the Evolution in a no-holds-barred elimination match in which it was a clean sweep. No member of the Shield was eliminated, and they took out Evolution one by one. Then. Oh, then. The explosion. You know what's weird? You're going to make fun of me for, for my ridiculous memory, but get there and I'll bring it up. Fun fact about this show. The show took place in Indianapolis, Indiana. The Bankers Life Fieldhouse, home of Victor Oladipo and the, and the Indiana Pacers. Do you know why? Do you know why the show being held in this arena was so special? I will in a minute when you tell me. It was the same arena the Shield debuted in, the same arena the Shield broke up in, and the same arena the first Shield reunion happened in. That's cool. Well, Don't pay attention to that kind of shit. You were but that was cool. That's very cool. Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. Pat McAfee was probably at all three of them. Probably was. So the following night on Raw, we're in Indianapolis. Triple H announced his intention to continue Evolution's feud with the Shield, feud with the Shield. But there Batista, is uh, always a uh, Plan B. But Batista quit WWE after he re- wasn't given his one-on-one title match that he earned at the Royal Rumble. I love his wave goodbye. Lime green shirt. I love his wave goodbye. So later that night, the Triple H, the Triple H, the Shield, 
<laughs> the Triple H. The, the, the Hunter Hearst Helmsley. The Kane. The Shield is in the ring celebrating their win when uh, the game by Motorhead hit and Triple H Orton sauntered out to the ring and Triple H held up his uh, trusty sledgehammer and said, there's always a plan B. And it's interesting to note, once Triple H came out that sledgehammer, Seth Rollins tapped his boys on the shoulder and said, let me go get a chair. So we got a weapon too. Then Triple H said, there's a plan B. And Bruce and Reigns step up. Rollins wax. Roman in the back of the steel chair. Ambrose's face was fucking priceless. Yes. Like, and then Dean takes a takes a chair shot to the gut and takes a, a curb stomp onto the chair. And that's the end of the shield, man. And now here's my ridiculous memory. Yeah. I was playing in a can jam tournament that night and was not watching Raw. Yeah. I was on my way home and I saw you tweeted Holy heel turn. Sounds like something I'd tweet in 2014. And I don't know why I remember this, but I'm like, who turned? And mostly we weren't, we didn't talk all that much at this time. No, I could, I remember the first time you ever texted me. We can talk about that after. Yeah. And fucking, I texted you, or no, I, I tweeted you back. I said, who turned? And you said Rollins. And I almost crashed my car. Yeah. I was stunned. I didn't think Rollins would be the one to turn. No, everybody thought it was Ambrose. They yeah, they plotted they they planted the seeds of Ambrose for a while. There was a full Ambrose and tree, Ryan. tree growing. And and, and want to talk about where they all went from here? Yeah, we could do that. We could do that, or we go to the reunion. It's up to you. Whatever you want to jump. Let's to just next. talk about their immediate future. All right. So Rollins had gone to become Mister Money in the Bank, and he would play the role as Triple H's new chosen one. Dean Ambrose would enter a feud with Seth Rollins that lasted several months and had several wacky skits, including him dumping a bucket of ice on Seth Rollins and saying, what? It's for charity. And then throwing the bucket at his head. All this shit was fun. There was slime involved. Yes, uh, Dean Ambrose repossessed uh, Seth's Money in the Bank briefcase, then gave it back to him, but when Seth opened it, slime popped out. Uh, there was a time where um, Hulk Hogan was having a birthday party and Dean Ambrose popped out of a present and beat up Rollins. They had a fun lumberjack match at SummerSlam, which Rollins won. And then Roman Reigns, on the other hand, he retained the shield look, the shield vest, and the shield music. It's the one mistake they had made. I was say, mistake or no? And mistake. Even the, even the shield entrance coming out from the crowd. Mistake. A little bit of a mistake. I they could have changed him a little bit, and he would not have gotten the booze so much, I don't think. Because he, just to say, he was only wrestling for, what, three years at the time? Maybe probably, a little longer? Probably, I'd say five. Five, five years? I'd say five, yeah. It was. I just don't think he could have. They could have done a couple things with him that I'm not creative, but I think they could have done a couple things with him to make him not the shield. So throughout the years, they would uh, all go on to become world champions. They'd all actually go on to become Grand Slam champions, and then the first reunion would come in 2017 when Dean Ambrose and Rollins teased a potential reunion, but Ambrose continuously denied Rollins' offer to reunite and said he still didn't trust Seth Rollins. On the July 31st episode of Raw, Rollins is confronted by the Raw Tag Team Champions Cesaro and Sheamus, and they basically beat down Rollins before Ambrose came to make the save, but Ambrose told him it was a one-time thing and don't expect it again. Following following week, they had a rematch. Rollins got beat up again, and Ambrose did not help him. Um, Ambrose faced Cesaro later on and got attacked, but Rollins made the save, and uh, this led to Ambrose offering the shield fist bump, but Rollins declined. And then on the August 14th episode, 
They fought off Cesaro and Sheamus, finally leading to the fist bump and a fucking big pop. Oh, huge pop. I was actually just watched that before we got here. Then SummerSlam 2017, another event I was at, they officially reunited to uh, def- to defeat the bar and become the Raw Tag Team Champions. And that actually made Ambrose the first member of the Shield to become the Grand to become a Grand Slam champion. Um then on October 9th, Miz would open the show with Cesaro and Sheamus, but they were interrupted by the full shield because Reigns was feuding with the Miz at the time. And they decided to reunite to take out a common net take out common enemies in Miz, Cesaro, and Sheamus. They're supposed to have a five on three uh TLC handicap match at TLC with Braun Strowman and Kane added to the heel team for God knows what reason. <laughs> but Roman Reigns came down with an illness and was replaced by Kurt Angle. Then, uh, prior to Survivor Series, Roman Reigns would come back and they'd face the New Day at the Survivor Series. Then, Dean Ambrose would have to get surgery on his arm and the shield would be gone. Then, 2018, night after SummerSlam, Braun Strowman attempts to cash in his Money in the Bank briefcase on Roman Reigns. Rollins and Ambrose come out to make the save. The Shield is reunited once again. Uh, Rollins and Ambrose continue to feud with Ziggler and uh, McIntyre like they were prior to the full-on Shield reunion while helping uh, Roman and his feud with Braun. The Dogs of War, you mean? I was getting there. I wasn't there yet. Uh, They would consolidate this into one feud when Ambrose, not Ambrose, Ziggler, McIntyre, and Braun Strowman would form a group that was unofficially called the Dogs of War, which is a terrible name. Great scream, though. Oh, dude. Ziggler doing the Strowman scream is great. This would lead to a match at Super Showdown, where the Shield defeated the Dogs of War. And then, unfortunately, on October 22nd, 2018, Roman Reigns relinquished his Universal title due to a real-life battle with leukemia, and Ambrose turned heel attacking Seth Rollins after they won the Raw Tag Team titles, uh, disbanding the Shield once again until 2019 when they'd reunite for one last time at WWE Fastlane where they would defeat Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, and Baron Corbin. Uh, After the match, the three seemed very emotional. Um, They had a Shield hug. Had a Shield hug, Shield fist bump. And then the next night, they would give their farewell address, which wasn't really much of an address at all. No, it was the three minutes. And as of this day, that's it for the Shield. Will we ever see them together again? If Ambrose stays, I'd bet my house on it. If Ambrose is really gone, maybe still. I mean, anyone could come back. And there's been fucking honorary members all over the place, so. Yes, uh, Kurt Angle is an honorary member. Triple H was an honorary member. Strowman's on right now, I believe. He's in, in May the... for the UK tour, so not yet. Okay, not yet. So it'll be May for the UK tour, which is weird. Like, I don't know why it's... I don't know. I'm not going to... What do you think? Do we ever see him again? That's a tough question. Like, like I said, if Ambrose if Ambrose is... As long as Ambrose is in the is in the company, it'll happen. Um, if Ambrose leaves and comes back in five years, I can see them doing it when he comes back. If Ambrose stays, I can see them doing it sometime later in 2019. Yeah. It's just all, it's all circumstantial. If Ambrose leaves and then never comes back, obviously we'll never see it again. But uh, what do you think the legacy of the Shield will be? Creating main Avengers. Bigger, bigger, bigger. I guess better question. If all three of these guys just debut, like like Ricochet and Aleister Black and Tommaso Ciampa, and Johnny Gargano did 
all his singles called up from NXT, do they all, do all of them, do all three of them see the same level of success that they have? No. No, I, I agree I, completely. A fucking really easy no. <laughs> I agree completely. Did they? That faction was so good. It set them up for success. They were so good together. They were each so good at something. Uh, they 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 didn't look the same. They didn't act the same, but they thought the same. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. That's kind of that's kind of what separated them from everybody else, especially in factions. Yeah. So, the greatest faction probably of the twentieth twenty first century. I, I still agree that it's the greatest faction the WWE ever produced. Better than Evolution, better than Degeneration X. You put them up. I I got the shield over all of them just because it built three main eventers from the ground up. And I agree with you 100 percent. Without that group, it it doesn't happen. Um, no, I, I don't think it does at all. But I hope he's not gone. I really like Dean Ambrose, so hopefully we can get him to stay and we get more shield matches. Yeah. Because um, they work awesome together. Do you think that they blew the chance by never having the Shield triple threat at WrestleMania? They had it once, and it was at Battleground. And I don't want to say it under-delivered, but it was kind of underwhelming. It's, the, it's stars, just kind of, the stars just never lined up for that. It's just kind of a, a match that's lost in the shuffle and no one ever really talks about. Yeah, no, they did, they did the Shield triple threat. They kind of get lost. It's it was, The stars did not line up for Mania. But it was still... I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was And those three guys really like each other, so it's... Cool, I guess. But if this really isn't for the shield, thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah. Um Yeah, and that's fifty two minutes talking about the shield, man. Love it. So we're gonna come back. We're gonna give you a fresh, hot new cane fact of the week, hot off the presses. Hope you got one prepared. I do. And uh we'll hit you with the outro like usual and we'll get out of your hair. So I wanna thank you all for bearing with us this week. Um, it wasn't the most of ideal circumstances, but Mike will be back next week. Uh, we will have rebooking the Nexus part two. We will have the open palm eight of the mean guy classic, which I want to thank everyone for voting, uh, in the stiff 16. We will reveal who made it to the open palm eight next week. Um, yeah. So that just about wraps it up or does it I know this is Mike's thing but I cannot let the cane fact of the week die this week's cane fact of the week is outside of wrestling one Glenn Jacobs is also an insurer he owns an all-state agency in Tennessee so you know you are always in good hands with Glenn Jacobs aka Kane so once again uh Usually we give the Turnbuckle Topics Network schedule at the top of the episode, but obviously this week's a little unique. So go ahead and follow everyone from the network. Um, follow at TT underscore for you, at Lens Be Honest, at Old School Pants, of course us at Champions Pod, and uh, at Kuda underscore Junior. Can't forget about my boy Gil. And yeah, next week hopefully everything will return to normal. Thanks for bearing with us. We hope you kind of enjoyed this best of. And we will see you in one week's time. Stay classy.